interlude very often but uh here we go special edition episode 56 of stick to hockey live jason matias anthony demarco i love this song by the way but never oh oh so fucking good right whenever i hear this song i think of shrek 2 when he's chasing fiona <laughs> after they take the potion to change into the hue I, I, it's the first song that comes to my head oh my goodness i didn't, yeah. I didn't remember that um, obviously, a ton going on. It's been a whirlwind early morning here on this Friday as yep. the Flyers, as you can see on our scroll on the bottom for those listening on the, or watching on the stream. Um, by the way, real quick, if people have questions or anything they want answered, if you're on YouTube or Facebook or on Twitter as well, just um, tweet us or put a comment in the comment section. We see them here on our StreamYard app. And I want to get to as many questions from uh, Flyer fans as possible uh, as we go through this episode today. Uh, but the big news, obviously, is the dismissal of Chuck Fletcher. He is no longer the general manager and president of hockey operations for the Flyers. Uh, they put out a statement earlier today, and uh, I'll read it as follows. The Philadelphia Flyers have released Chuck Fletcher from his duties as president of hockey operations and general manager. Daniel Briere, currently serving as the special assistant to the general manager, has been named the interim general manager while the organization begins the process of permanently filling two separate positions, president of hockey operations and general manager. Briere will travel to be with the team in Pittsburgh today. Team is flying to Pittsburgh. I believe their flight's leaving around 1.30 uh, from Carolina where they played last night and suffered a one nothing defeat against the Canes. That is certainly secondary and to everything that has taken place and, I see that this morning when I get up as my phone is blowing up. Uh, I'm up earlier than normal today. Uh, but you broke this last night around, what, 1 a.m., I guess it was, uh, that you got some information and put it out there that this uh, change was taking place today and it came into fruition. And, and here we are now, all of a sudden, Chuck Fletcher, no longer the GM and, and uh, president of hockey operations. Yeah, I was uh, tipped off around 1 a.m. last night. I think it was 1.07 when the tweet went out that the Flyers were going to undergo major front office changes. I didn't specifically say uh, that Chuck Fletcher was going to be replaced by Danny Breer because I, I didn't know to what magnitude things were going to happen. And I still think that as things play out here, probably farther into the offseason, we will see more major changes. But obviously, the, the, the first shoe to drop was Chuck Fletcher being replaced by Danny Breer. And, you know, this... Chatter had been getting louder since the trade deadline, specifically Tuesday night uh, during the Tampa Bay Lightning game uh, that I really started hearing more and more chatter speaking to several sources around the organization. I wrote that piece early Wednesday morning that several people had said to me that they thought it was pretty much a slam dunk that it was going to happen after the season. But as I wrote in my piece on Wednesday morning, based on how loud this talk was getting, it wasn't going to shock me that if it came sooner, which it ultimately did just, what, uh, 72 hours later or not even. 
And I think that the fact that Danny Briere is the at least the interim replacement was low hanging fruit. It does not shock me in the least. I was told I wasn't told definitively that he would be the successor, but I was told definitively that in any type of house cleaning, he would not be a part of it. And he's someone that they view as a part of the future, both from the hockey side and the business side, very well respected and liked in that organization. So not overly shocking the outcome, but kind of shocking how quickly things kind of caught traction here. Yeah. And for those that don't know, when Danny first retired, he took a little time away. And then when he decided to get back to work after his playing career, he initially started on the business side because I remember when he you know, came back into the organization and started working, his initial goal was not to be in hockey. On the hockey side of it, it was on the business side. And he was uh, shadowing Sean Tilger, who was um, the president of uh, business operations at the time. And I remember our radio station meetings, uh, broadcast meetings that we had once a month with Sean Tilger. And, and all of a sudden, Danny Briere sitting in there in those meetings with us. <laughs> and I'm going, oh, this is different. So um, he was involved in that side of the building, learned that side first, then moved over to hockey. Uh, and kind of did a dual role and eventually took over as the general manager of the Maine Mariners uh, to get some experience and cut his teeth. And obviously over the last year, he's been the special assistant to the general manager and kind of learning the ropes. And we know that he was also a finalist, uh, one of the two finalists, I believe, last year for the job in Montreal that Kent Hughes ultimately got alongside Jeff Gordon. Yeah, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, before he even got into hockey as a student, as a teenager, he was accepted into I want to say Harvard, like an Ivy League school, like a very smart mm -hmm. guy and was paid by Comcast to go to business school. Following he went to Penn at Warden. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So th this is a very smart hockey guy. And I know that a lot of people automatically jump to the former flyer, uh, you know, old boys club. And I understand that the optics might not be great, but I really don't think that this is the same type of hire, even though he is a former Philadelphia flyer. Because this is a guy that, you know, the last seven, eight years has really been doing his due diligence and learning how to be an executive away from the Flyers. You know, when he got hired as the special assistant to the GM, he was the president and governor of the Maine Mariners, if I'm not mistaken. I actually wrote a piece on Danny about 15 months ago in early January 2022, before he was even brought in uh, to the Flyers front office. So I, I really do think that this is a bit different. And look, this isn't Danny getting the keys to the kingdom here. This is an interim basis. I think this is something that they probably wanted to hold off, hold out for um, because uh, until the, the end of the uh, regular season. Sorry, I got caught reading a question there that we could get to after. But yeah. I think that just based on all the vitriol, especially following the town hall meeting, I think it was just something that had to be done and kind of served up as a sacrificial lamb and just something for the fans to chew on to show that ownership recognizes that the status quo is no longer correct. And Danny's going to get a chance here to finish out the last 17 games or so. Yeah. And, you know, the, he'll get the final part of this season. I, I fully suspect that that interim tag will be removed. And I thought it was interesting that in the release that the team put out, that they said they were separating the general manager and president position. Um, and to me, that makes sense, especially if Danny's going to be the GM. You know, I broke that story on Flyers Daily with Danny. He was back in school. I remember I was booking the interview with him, and he said, oh, I have to be at class. And I said, what do you mean you're in class? And this is a former <laughs> NHLer who made a ton of dough, right? He goes, well, I went back to school when I talked to him, 
He goes, I, before we even started recording, I said, he's going back to school at, at Penn to learn more business acumen to yeah. better prepare himself. And I thought I was really impressed by that because I go, you know, this is a guy has got a lot of money, could probably just skate on his hockey reputation, but he's decided to go back and put the work in at the university of Pennsylvania and the Wharton school, which is one of the best business schools in the world. And to better prepare himself that when he does get this opportunity, provided it was coming that he was going to be as prepared as possible. So, um, you know, and one of the things is, you know, this is now a, a week later from the deadline by short of a couple of hours. The deadline was three o'clock last Friday. Here we are on Friday and the change has been made. You know, one of the big things and you just kind of mentioned it and alluded to it was that they wanted to show the fans that, you know, their anger and their disdain for what has taken place and where this team is um, for the last number of years, three plus. Um, is not acceptable and that it's not just, hey, we don't care. The building's got a decent amount of fans in it and we're still making money. This is about getting it right. And I imagine that this may only be the beginning of of what changes may take place because you do have to have a staff in place to run the rest of the season, A. Yeah. And B, um, you know, not ideal to do it in season at this point, but they felt the need that, I guess, the figurehead or – the body they decided to put on the front of the bar, like in the Unforgiven, when Ned was Morgan Freeman's character was on the front of the bar, is Chuck Fletcher. Well, look, I mean, what is really going to change that Danny Breer takes over to finish out the regular season? Nothing. He's going to go be the GM, their representative at the GM meetings this upcoming week. And aside from that, the trade deadline's over. You have limited roster transactions you can make. I mean, it's pretty much going to be status quo. And you have Brent Flair, who's probably going to oversee the the Phantoms, and Barry Hanrahan, who's going to continue to run the cap and all that. But I think this was about optics. And everything that has gone on here the last week or so, or even plus the last several months, has been about the optics. Because nothing Chuck Fletcher has done since the beginning of the regular season has altered the 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 future of this franchise even jvr not getting moved was it bad was it a terrible look a hundred percent but that's exactly what was a bad look the fact that they didn't pull a fourth or a fifth round pick to you know in exchange for him isn't going to change anything but it was about the optics and yes you can't always make major major decisions based on optics but in this scenario i think it had to because i just think that the fans needed to be heard and I think that even though the Flyers have started to trend in the right direction, I think today was another good step in that you had to show the fans that, yes, we realize that this thing needs a brand new coat of paint. Because, I, like I said last week, short of saving world hunger, nothing Chuck Fletcher did would ever get him back in the good graces of the fans. And that's just the fact of the matter. And I think this was something that, you know, kind of speaks to the fact that maybe they need a new direction and a more solid direction at the very top of the organization. The fact that this was heavily contemplated back in December and now they're doing it kind of on a whim because of what's happened over the last seven days. But again, it feels like this is just the first shoe to drop and may more moves are on the way once the season wraps up. And, you know, how deep it goes beyond this remains to be seen. And, you know, one of the prevailing thoughts a lot of times is, oh, no, and you alluded to it before, oh, no, here we go again with another former player. 
flyer and uh, Brian tweets in and says, I like Briere, but we've been down this road. A former player gets GM job before several times convinced at this point, Briere will be replaced as a GM in a few years by a retired Giroux. Um, <laughs> that actually made me laugh. <laughs> I mean, that that is the way things happen in hockey. A lot of times it is former players, Rob Lake in LA, right? I mean, you see former players, uh, all over the league end up back in the league. These are hockey lifers. And, and I don't, I don't think this is a situation where it's, Hey, Danny was a former flyer and a great playoff performer. And that's why he's the right guy for this job. He's very well thought of around the league. Yeah. I just through the process he went through from the business side into hockey operations, going back to school at Penn, all of that stuff. And, you know, this is a guy I think that has positioned himself to earn this opportunity, which is, you know, a, a lot of times, you know, that's the difference. There's a difference there when a guy, you know, d- just is given something because of the player he was. I think Danny has, has put himself in a position, uh, you know, to be successful here because of how he's taken these steps and incremental steps towards uh, getting a shot in the big chair in the NHL. And, you know, people are saying you don't want to hire a guy just because he's a former flyer, and that's true. But you also don't not want to hire someone just because he's a former flyer. Yeah. You know, you can't judge the book by its cover, right? And I know Danny Breer has the cover of a former flyer, a guy who was brought in by Paul Holmgren. But like you said, it's look, this is before my time, but it's not like Bob Clark retiring in the 80s and then getting hired as GM right away. Or I know Homer kind of bounced around a bit. He went to Hartford. But again, another example of a guy who was hired heavily because of when he was a player and the longstanding, you know, kind of influence he's had in the organization. Like Danny Breer's a guy that I can tell you, I was here in Montreal. He's still like a local folk hero here. The people love him, you know, heavily because he is a Quebecois, obviously, but also because he's a really smart guy. And if I'm not mistaken, in 2021, he was considered to for the AGM job with the Arizona Coyotes, if I'm not he mistaken. Played there too. Exactly. He was drafted by the Coyotes. So yes, like I understand the optics of it. I get it. But you can't just turn on him right away because he is a former flyer. He fe- It just feels different with Briere because of all the legwork he's put in. Like people forget, like he's been working in the fl- with the Flyers almost um, immediately following his retirement in 2014 when he finished with the Colorado Avalanche. So that is almost nine years that he's kind of been really hustling and grinding and educating himself behind the scenes, cutting his teeth in the ECHL, having several different roles. Like I said, when I spoke to him 15 months ago, I remember him saying that he got a chance to try every different type of the organizations. And the other thing here that I think is very important that I heard on Tuesday night is that there's a belief that the Flyers hockey upside and the business upside, and this isn't even a belief, they're very disjointed. And the belief part about that is, is that it's among the most disjointed organizations between business and hockey ops in the NHL. And I think that a lot of people view that Danny could be the kind of guy that could bring both sides together. Because obviously he has the hockey background and he's also very well liked and respected on the Comcast side and worked for a Comcast owned team in the main Mariners that doesn't have an affiliation with the Flyers directly. So there is that 
kind of both sides of the coin and you could have your cake and eat it too with Danny Briere, where you have a guy who is a brilliant hockey mind, but also has the complete support and respect from the business side. Yeah. And I think the other thing too, is, you know, a lot of, we look at that in Philadelphia, you know, you go from Bob Clark as the GM and then it goes from Clark to Russ Falwell. And then, you know, after Russ Falwell, you know, you have some different GMs through the years. Paul Holmgren obviously took over for a long period of time uh, after Clark came back and was the GM. And he and Ken Hitchcock basically resigned on that same day to start that what turned out to be the Flyers' worst season. And then Holmgren took over. And then he they hire Hextall as an assistant GM from L.A. where he had just won two cups in four years uh, working with Dean Lombardi out there. And Hextall comes over as the assist, the assistant GM. And it seemed obvious at the time that he was the heir apparent uh, to Paul Holmgren, who stepped down. A lot of people say in light of the Shea Weber offer sheet, because a lot of other GMs didn't want to deal with Paul after he put a poison pill offer sheet in front of uh, Shea Weber, which eventually Nashville had to match. And the offer sheet was actually worth more money than the Nashville Predators were worth at the time as a total organization. And then Hexy takes over. We know how that went. He was fired. Chuck Fletcher came in, who had no affiliation with the organization. He's not a former player. He's not had no ties to the organization. His dad did not work for the organization. No, hockey guys know hockey guys. Then there's connections between Chuck Fletcher and Bob Clark and uh, blah, blah, blah. But still, uh, now you go back to uh, a former player. And I, I think an important element of this, Ant, is if it is going to be Danny and that interim tag is going to be removed, who is the president? Who is going to take over that role? I would say it's very unlikely that you see a Paul Holmgren step back into that, who is pseudo-retired and you know wants to spend more time with his family, his grandkids, and, and everybody else, and has been, I guess, listed as an advisor. Clarkie's not going into that role. So who is the potential candidate to be the next president of this organization and help guide it back to big-time relevance? Well, I mean, I haven't heard any like there. There's some names just floating out there, right? Like you could, you could say like a, a Ray Shiro, or you know, like I've said for a while, like a Chris Pronger type. Like you've heard names like Mike Fuda, who I think works in the LA organization. I believe you brought up earlier today, uh, Scott Mellenby. Like, yep. I mean, there. I he think was a it's great so AGM in in Montreal, very yeah. well thought of. I know he's a former player here. He played a lot of his career in Florida. But and he he's with the St. Louis Blues organization right now working for Army. Yeah. So, I mean, look, there, there's a lot of options, but it's going to have to be a big vetting process. I mean, like I, I've said the the like I've said a guy like Pronger just because he had a very similar background. But I don't think Pronger wants to get back into hockey ops. It doesn't it seems like he has his traveling business with his wife, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, but you know, roles different though. I think that that maybe is something that could peak in. <laughs> well, like the reason why I've always said Chris Pronger is because I look at Brendan Shanahan in Toronto, mm -hmm. and similar kind of like Pronger's more outgoing and funny and stuff. But like both work at the NHL head office and player safety. Pronger had that role in the Florida Panthers front office, so he has a bit of experience. And, like, I know he's a former flyer, but, like, he's not a former flyer. He's a former blue. And if he's not a yeah. former blue, he's a former duck. Like, I mean, he's so – Edmonton he's like, Oiler. Yeah, I mean, he's so not even thought of as a flyer, like, at least in my opinion. And I just think that that's a character 
that would be a good buffer between hockey operations and ownership. And I think what's so imperative here is that you get a guy who could tell ownership within reason, of course, to fuck off. And I'm sorry to say that, but there there is no circumstance where the general manager should be directly reporting to Dave Scott or any Comcast figurehead, whether it be Dan Hilferty or Val Camilla, whoever it is, Brian Roberts, there's no situation where that should ever be the case. And I, and I always use this example because their ownership structures are so similar. But you look at the Toronto Maple Leafs. They're owned by Rogers or directly owned by MLSC, which is a subsidiary company of Rogers. The same concept of Spectacor to Comcast, like the parent company. Mm-hmm. And Larry Tannenbaum is the CEO and chairman of MLSC, i.e. Dave Scott in this scenario. But Kyle Dubas isn't talking directly to Larry Larry Tannenbaum. Tannenbaum isn't the guy signing off on every coaching decision or big trade or big contract. It's Brendan Shanahan. And he's the conduit to ownership. He's the conduit to ownership, and he oversees everything with hockey ops. And the only time you're going to hear about Larry Tannenbaum making a big decision is if Brendan Shanahan's getting shit-canned. And that's because corporations, big telecommunication companies like Rogers and Comcast have no business having the final say on hockey ops. And I think that is so imperative. And one of the big reasons why I think the last four years have been what they've been of Chuck Fletcher and Dave Scott kind of guiding this team into the shithole because this, the, the struck, the organizational structure made no sense. I had someone tell me the other day, that it made no sense from the onset that Chuck Fletcher like had both titles of president of hockey ops and general manager six months in. And one person had said to me that he was set up to fail from the beginning. That doesn't absolve Chuck Fletcher of blame, but you bring in a guy to be the general manager six months later, he's the president of hockey ops. And not only that, he's dealing directly with pretty much the owner of the team who is a figurehead for a telecommunications conglomerate. Like it just, it made no sense and it's too complicated. Thing, yeah. And you know, not to go off on a tangent here, but like it, it just made no sense. And like you said, it was complicated. And for a guy like Dave Scott, not to, you know, throw shade at him, but I don't think he would even agree that he should be the guy making the final decision on hockey ops. Mm-hmm. I, I think part of it is a GM can never have to worry about ticket sales. You have to do what's right from a hockey standpoint and that direct line of communication can blur that line. Real quick, I just want to tell Ryan, uh, Ryan's texted in a bunch of names for president. Lou Lamorello, he's texted in Barry Trotz and Brian Burke. Ryan, all three of those guys are already employed. Lou Lamorello is with the New York Islanders. The uh, Barry Trotz is the heir apparent to David Poyle in Nashville. And Brian Burke is the president in Pittsburgh above Ron Hextall. So, um, Quick Google search on who you suggest there, brother. Appreciate it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> my buddies at Wildfire Podcasting, they helped launch this sucker. They, they didn't help launch it. They launched it. I just voiced it. Uh, and they say, probably Jim, says, was the deadline disaster the straw that broke the camel's back? They should have done this a month ago and allowed Briere to run the deadline. Um, so, I mean, to me, you know, the deadline was one of those things that, I don't want to say you couldn't fuck up because you could, and they kind of did. And JVR still here, whether there was a market for him or not. Um, but to me, the consequence of the trade deadline um, doesn't turn out to be huge. I don't think it 
sets the organization back. Had they gotten a fourth round pick for JVR, was that going to be a big difference? Probably not. But I mean, you look at some of the other decisions and the extension of Travis Sanheim on the first day of the season to an eight-year extension, essentially nine more years when he hadn't played a game for John Tortorella or, you know, not recouping assets for Rasmus Ristolainen at that deadline. You can even go back to Scott Lawton, you know, when he was uh, a free agent, a pending free agent, and they decided to extend him and not trade him. They put could have gotten a good value for him. Now, I agree with the decision to extend Lawton because the cost for a replacement and I think what he means to the team um, is important going forward. But you can look at all of those different decisions and, you know, you got you, you to consider them. They're all part of his resume at this point with the job that he did here in Philadelphia. So we'll, we'll see where this goes. I mean, it, it, it's wild. You know, when a GM gets let go in season, that's not ideal. The Hexy thing happened in season December 3rd, I think so. And that was a huge shock. Now, there was personality differences in that in that equation. And maybe some, you know, cutting a lot of people out and, you know, not giving up information. Very small, tight circle that Hexy had. And Hexy worried about everything. I will tell you that firsthand. I mean, he worried about how many ice cubes you put in your soda at the, the press dining meal. Things he didn't need to be worrying about. And that polarized him. Chuck Fletcher is a smart man. Very educated. Went to Harvard. You know, grew up in the game. His father was a, is a Hall of Fame general manager. Uh, very smart guy, but I think where Chuck lacked here is he, he lacked balls. And creativity. You know what I mean? Creativity, too. Creati- yeah, and sometimes you just got to put your cheese out there a little bit. I mean, it, I guess it was a ballsy move to sign Kevin Hayes, and he really had no choice because of the Nolan Patrick situation. Um, he made a ballsy move with Gudis and Niskanen, which was panned at the time. Ristolainen. Uh, yeah, Ristolainen. I mean, he made some some bold decisions, whether you agree with them or not. Um, the team is where the team is. And this was inevitable. Shocked that it happened in season. You know, a lot of times they say, if you listen to the fans, you'll be sitting with them. He wasn't a guy that listened to the fans, but the organization listened to the outrage here. And I think that played a huge part in this. Yeah, look, I mean, I've said numerous times, and I was told this the other day, that Chuck Fletcher is far from the only problem here. But he was part of the problem. And even if you break, I've said this numerous times, if you break down his moves over his, over his tenure here, move by move, you could say that they're not terrible. There's some good ones in there, even if they didn't make sense for the team. In a vacuum, the Lawton extension is a fair one. In a vacuum, the Ristolainen extension is a fair one. But when you look at it all as a collective, I always forget this word and I remember it after and I kick myself in the ass, but a collective pie or whatever, or on a, uh, on a macro scale there. Finally, I remembered it. If you look at all of his moves on a macro scale, they really didn't make a whole lot of sense. So, I mean, it's very tough to kind of be like, well, you know, all to give him the benefit of the doubt because a bunch of his moves individually look good. When all, when you put them all together, it's a fucking mess. Yeah. And, that's where the team is right now. You know, what does this mean for John Tortorella? The GM that hired him is no longer the GM. Now, Danny was a part of that process. And I think he and Torts, and, you know, you've heard Torts talk about Danny. I think that they're pretty much on the same page and what this team needs moving forward from a coaching perspective. Uh, I love the hiring of Torts, as we've talked about ad nauseum. I think he is the right guy at this time for this job. 
um, but how this affects things moving forward. And, you know, one of the things we heard about Ant too was the Kevin Hayes Columbus conversation. And people said, well, that's going to save Chuck his job because if he has a deal in place, they're not going to fire him because if you fire the GM, it could go, the new GM could go. No, I'm not, I'm not into doing that. The parameters we agreed to with Yarmo Kekalina. Now, I, I don't know that that's really any kind of impediment at all. I really don't. No, I, I don't think, I think so. those are and, fun things to say on social media. And look, this isn't like, look, Danny Briere was part of that front office too. I mean, at least in the interim, Brent Flair is still there. Although I can't imagine that Brent Flair is here that like through the off season, you know, like him and Chuck, their close relationship goes back to their time in Minnesota. It feels like they're kind of a package deal. So I don't think that's going to really destroy any potential deal between these the two teams. And look, we're not talking about a monumental shift in both organizations here, right? Like this is going to be a cap dump for all intents and purposes. Like you're going to retain a third of Hayes' money and you're going to trade him for a second round pick or some shit. Like that's what a Kevin Hayes deal is going to look like. It's not like you're trading Ivan Provorov for Zach Wierenski. You know, it's not going to be a monumental trade that, you know, shakes up each team's respective core. So, I mean, look, I mean, I, I think that any potential deal that Chuck maybe laid the groundwork for, maybe a pro overall deal, maybe a Sanheim deal, I don't think those are in major jeopardy. Like, I don't think other teams are going to nix deals that they think could benefit them just because Chuck Fletcher is no longer there. And the fact that there is still a familiar face in Danny Briere in, in charge, at least interimly, is will help that as well. Um, in the release that the Flyers sent out, there's an interesting quote in here from Dave Scott. And I want to read this to you and get your thoughts on it and get everybody's thoughts on it. He says, uh, you know, in releasing Chuck, Chuck Fletcher, Flyers fans deserve a better team than we've seen on the ice over the past few seasons and a clear plan to return this team to Stanley Cup contention. We know that this will be a multi-year process and we are committed to doing it right. So again, committing to the rebuild because we want to put this franchise on a path towards winning the Stanley Cup period. And this is the part that really grabbed me. He says, in the coming days, we will begin the process of restructuring our hockey operations department by separating the president and general manager positions. We view this as a critical opportunity to not only reestablish the standard of excellence that our fans expect, but also to bring new energy, accountability, and strategic vision to our organization. That part is the part that jumps out to me. And you know, new energy, new vision. So all said and done, and I don't know if you're hearing anything about this, when the season does end, and I suspect we'll hear about some more changes, whether that's Brent Flair, who was kind of a package deal with Chuck Fletcher and has run the drafts, or whether that's uh, other guys in the front office, hockey operations, advisors, and such, guys like Clark, guys like Holmgren, guys like Bill Barber. You expect all those guys to kind of be out of the loop here with a new, you know, the hockey operations department and management structure that is uh, totally fresh with the exception of, of Danny Briere. I, if they're going to be out, I'm not sure, but I did hear at length and it was stressed pretty severely that they're a problem for lack of better terms in the eyes of some in that too many cooks in the kitchen type thing. Right. It's too many cooks in the kitchen, and I think they let their personal feelings and, you know, for lack of better terms, the old boys club vibe get in the way of making smart hockey moves. Like, look, it's no secret that Chuck Fletcher's dad is very good friends with with uh, Bobby Clark. 
it's no secret that you know Paul Holmgren, who personally was the guy who was president when they hired Chuck Fletcher, probably thinks fondly of um, of uh, Chuck Fletcher. So I think I mixed the names up, but you get the point I'm trying to make. Bill Barber is a longstanding friends with all those guys. Dean Lombardi has been lurking in the shadows for all these times. Like, look, they need a fresh vision. Like these guys are senior advisors, but when you hear stories that Chuck Flett, that uh, Dave Scott is leaning on these guys as to whether or not he should make a move on his general manager back in December, and they all ultimately sway him away from making said move, that's something that can't be had. You know, if you want to be used as soundboards in a coaching search, which uh, Holmgren and Clark were used as for John Tortorella, fine. You know, it's it's another opinion. But I mean, you can't be asking these guys what the philosophical direction of the team should be. And that's what I think it's become. You know, I had one person tell me that guys like he specified Barber and Homer specifically that, you know, they're around far too much than you would assume advisors to be. And you've heard the rumblings that, you know, Barber is um, Dave Scott's personal hockey consigliere, which is, you know, you could take that for what it's worth. And, and you know, I don't think, know if it's specifically just them. Like, maybe we see Dave Scott retire, go off into, right off into the sunset, you know? Like, he's no spring chicken. He's been put in place ever since Ed Snyder passed away. Like, he has blood on his hands, too. Like, yes, he isn't, you know, deciding who they claim off waivers or signed contract extensions, but he has been the the guy that Hockey Ops reports to for quite some time here. And I think that maybe if you want to put a fresh coat of paint on this organization, it has to be Dave Scott and it has to be the advisors. And I also don't think, and I was told this, that it should not be looked as a coincidence that Dan Hilferty was hired when he did. So I don't know if he's going to spearhead this thing. I don't know if he's the guy that personally is put put all this shit into motion behind the scenes. I don't know if it's already been agreed to that at season's end, he's going to take over for Dave Scott and he's going to oversee a search for the president of hockey ops. But I do feel like it's imperative that they make major changes above the general manager and above the hockey ops department. And I do think it's maybe necessary that all those guys who are in those positions right now maybe take a step aside. Because you also don't want people to have lasting negative memories of Bill Barber and Bob Clark and Paul Holmgren. But I think it's getting to that point now. Um, I'll credit uh, Isaiah and the guys at OMB Podcast for putting this tweet out about free John 32 Thoughts. I've not had a chance to listen to today's updated 32 Thoughts just yet. And he said, uh, here's a quote from Free Jinnett. The moment coach John Tortorella's name appeared on that, um, quote, this year was the first step in building the future of the Flyers letter in February, the letter that he sent out to season ticket holders. Freed said it signaled where everything was going. The as yet undetermined part is how deep this rebuild will go, but there's a chance it will be more significant than expected. One governor said this week that early in the season, comp tickets for Philadelphia games were up 50% over 21-22. Nothing delivers a message louder than that. That's interesting. You know, uh, hit him in the pocketbook is what they say. Uh, OMB podcast also put this out that Freege and Marek on 32 Thoughts mentioned Eric Lindros, Ed Olchuk, and even Pryor, uh, Pronger among the names that could be in consideration for a management spot. Scott could retire. Tortorella holds a lot of sway and Briere most likely to hold on to one of the two major positions flyers in rebuild mode so that's what he said uh there as well um 
let's talk about those three guys. We mentioned Pronger already. Um, you know, the other names that are mentioned there, uh, Eric Lindros and uh, Eddie Olchek. And I mean, Edzo obviously is so well thought of around the league. He's been with Chicago and maybe didn't get the position that he wanted with Chicago. Um, so perhaps he is the guy that they talk to. But Pronger, Olchek, and Lindros, I, I assume that what Fridge is alluding to here is the president position. He, and I he, think it's he important. He referenced uh, Pronger? Yeah, he did. He said those are the three three names he mentioned, Lindros, Olchek, and even Pronger, among the names that could be in consideration for a management spot. Um, when you look at those three guys, you know, Danny is a first-time GM. I think he needs a guy there that has kind of been through it as a GM or been in hockey operations to help guide him for some of the things that in areas that maybe he's not as well versed in and doesn't have experience in. So that would lean to Ed Olchek being the, the guy with the most of that knowledge, although Pronger has never worked in hockey operations outside of with Florida after he first retired and with Peter Luco down there, but Lindros doesn't have any management experience. Yeah, Lindros, I, I, I wouldn't go there. I, I I wouldn't do that. Like, you know, Eric more than me, but I think, look, Pronger was some somebody that I've been saying for two years now, but that was completely pulling out of my ass is just kind of like thinking about the ideally best guy. But we just talked about this before we even have listened to, to 32 Thoughts. Chris Pronger fits the personality description. He fits the the experience description. Like, obviously, him and Danny have a some form of a relationship for when they played together. But again, like, I know he played here for just over two years, barely two years, but he's not a former flyer. Like, he's a St. Louis Blue through and through. And if he's not a St. Louis Blue, he's an Anaheim Duck. He just stopped here right in the twilight of his career, even though that twilight for the first year was still fucking amazing. So he has experience in another front office, uh, Florida. He has experience in the NHL's front office. I mean, that's the guy I would zero in on. And it's pretty cool that Fridge has already named him as a potential president of hockey ops, but that's the guy to me that makes the most sense. Lindros, I think would be more of a face. He has no experience. You need a guy with a pedigree here. And look, yeah. obviously, like, would up, uh, like, who's a hard hitting, you know, president or like a Doug Armstrong? Like, yeah, obviously, you'd want a guy like that or Steve Eiserman or someone of that ilk or Brian Burke 10 years ago. But for me, Pronger is Shanahan 2.0. They're very, very similar. And if you take away the fact that he played two seasons in Philadelphia, I think it's a pretty easy choice that he would be at the top of the list. He is a no-nonsense, cut-through-the-bullshit guy. I mean, I covered Pronger when he was here, and I loved it because if you had a microphone, Pronger would never run from you. Jeff Carter and Mike Richards, when I had a microphone, would run from me like I had the plague, right? <laughs> Prongs will come running to you. As a matter of fact, after the Flyers lost the Cup, Game 6 against Chicago in 2010, the only guy that came out to talk to me on the radio in the postgame show was Chris Pronger. I always remember that. So he's not a guy that's going to run from anything. And that attitude, I think, is very, very important. Now, the other element, too, with Danny is, you know, when the league had the lockout and Danny and the league came back with new rules, Danny Breer took off as a player. He was a very modern NHL player. I don't know what, you know, his thoughts are on how to build a team. But Ryan sent this really long note about, Holy shit. yeah, he said, I, I have a question in this regard. 
Um, why not get a GM as well as a man of operations and president who are all in line and have the same attitude and focus on what they look for in players, style of play, and style of system? Get everybody who are all in line, same with the coach. So basically you have guys at each position in every capacity that focus on the same things in players and style of play as a system as coach Torts does. Uh, look, when you're building a roster, I think you're constantly pivoting on a roster because, you know, in a draft, you may grab, say you get lucky, you end up with Bedard. You're building a different team with Bedard than you are with Leo Carlson or Fantilli because, I mean, ultimately you have an identity and a standard, but when you have certain kinds of talent, you have to build a different kind of team. If you have a ton of speed, you got to play a system that is advantageous to that. You got to adapt your organizational philosophy to what is available to you. You can't just draft, you know, in a box and develop in a box. It doesn't work like that. Look, they're going to have to get creative here. And I think that they, you know, at least they've taken the first step to think outside the box. And I, I'm going to be very curious to see who or how this plays out with the rest of the front office. Like, I think that aside from Danny, everyone is safe. Like Fried said, he's probably going to hang on to that GM title role. Again, I wrote that in my piece that he's a part of the future here long term. You mean nobody is safe aside from Danny? Yeah, like Torts and Danny, everyone else is fair game. Man, I don't know how deep it's going to go. And like I said, I know Pronger, he was a former flyer, but he's not really a former flyer. So, I mean... It's uh, it's pretty, pretty serious, um, the type of change that they're making here. And look, obviously, you, you can't give them the benefit of the doubt because of what's gone on here over the last 24 months or so. And in my opinion, probably the last 30 months going back to the bubble, which just seems eons ago at this point. But I mean, I think it's the first step. And I think the big first step was bringing in Hilferty, like a brand new face to head up this organization and Spectacore and all that. And look, I know that technically it's still Dave Scott. I would be pretty shocked if Dave Scott is in in his same seat by the time next season starts. Like, where do you kind of fall on that? Yeah, I mean, I think if, you know, Dave is quoted, obviously, in the release quite a bit, and he's the chairman at this point. But if I was a betting man that come the offseason, you know, well before the draft, that there's a whole new organizational structure and that Dave Scott will go back into retirement. Remember, he was retired prior to joining up with Ed Snyder for the final you know, couple of years of Ed Snyder uh, running the organization. There was a transition there. And, and I, I'm trying to get clarification. I don't know that if Ed Snyder handpicked Dave Scott or chose him out of likely candidate. I don't know. I'm trying to find that information out. But I would imagine that Dave Scott goes back into retirement and uh, that Hilferty is the guy that takes over um, as the chairman and to kind of guide the organization from, you know, a, a, a 30,000 feet look and be that guy between the organization, the president of the organization and ownership, Comcast, i.e. Brian Roberts. I would think that that's the case. And that's the way it should be. Like, you should not be hearing from Hilferty slash Scott slash whoever the hell is in that position unless it's a situation where, you know, the new president is being removed or Val Camillo is being removed, like, or something major on the business side. As far as the hockey team goes, 
you should never be hearing the names Hilferty, Dave Scott, any Comcast, Brian Roberts. It has to be one guy who's the end all be all. Is and, it like that in other cities, Ant, where every time like you know things get really shitty for a team or whatever, that they all say, We need to hear from Jeff Molson, or we need to hear from, you know, the the chairman of uh, MLSE. You know, is is that the case in other cities, or is that just here because Ed Snyder was so on the present? Well, it's definitely changing. Like you use Jeff Molson as an example. Like when Mark Bergevin was there, yeah, oftentimes when they gave their end of year press conferences, Jeff Molson would be beside Mark Bergevin because Bergevin was that that reported directly to Jeff Molson. He was executive vice president and general manager. But now, when Jeff Molson overhauled his front office, he specifically said that he believed that it was a two-man job and that he hired uh, Jeff Gordon to essentially oversee hockey ops and Ken Hughes to be your GM. You've seen that in um, in Vancouver. They're a shit show nonetheless, but they've still done that where you have Jim Rutherford as the G- as the president and Patrick Alvine as the GM. You've seen that in Boston, like for how long now that Don or that Don Sweeney is the GM and Cam Neely oversees everything. You never hear from the Jacobs family. And I think it's as long as you instill an absolute boss for the hockey team, that's who the people want to hear. But unfortunately in Philadelphia, it's been Ed Snyder who everyone knew was the final decision maker. And for a brief period in there, because you remember that in the Hextall years, we never heard about Dave Scott because Homer was still president. So you knew Dave Scott was there, but Homer was the big boss. But as soon as Homer left and there was no more filter between Chuck Fletcher, i.e. the GM and Dave Scott, now all of a sudden people wanted to hear from them. And you even saw it with the Chicago Blackhawks where, what was his name? John McDonough. He was the president for all those years and everyone knew Rocky Wirtz was the owner but John McDonough was the head of the franchise. And I think people just like to hear from the ultimate decision maker on the hockey team, whether that be the owner, whether it be a president, a chairman, a CEO, whatever, you know, arbitrary title you want to use, they want to hear from the final decision maker. But for far too long now, the final decision maker has been Dave Scott. Yeah. And you know, Charlie O'Connor, hold on one second. I'm just sending a link to Freed real quick to see if he could pop on with us real quick. But uh, I doubt he will. I'm sure he's slam ass. He's busy. Uh, Charlie O'Connor said this uh, on social media, said that um, per a source, oh, where did it go? I had it right here. Damn it. Oh, here it is. Um, he said, per a source, no more changes in the front office are likely to occur today but expect more to come in the near future. The Department of Hockey Operations will be significantly restructured in the coming days, weeks, and months. So you don't look for another shoe to drop today. This is, I believe, though, only the beginning. So we'll see where it goes. Um, Andy tweets me at ASB underscore 63. He responds to our uh, teaser that we were coming on today. He said to me, at Jason Mert, are you now allowed to stop defending him? How'd that hockey pedigree and the Harvard degree work out for us in regards to Chuck Fletcher? Um, Look, I remove emotion from the equation as much as I can. And I've talked about on Flyers Daily quite a bit and here with you and on on Stick to Hockey a lot that where the organization is right now, unacceptable, unacceptable. It has, you know, so many questionable decisions now. 
let's be in full transparency here because I'm always in full transparency about me professionally, my, you know, personal life, everything. Always have been on the radio, always am here. I do work for the team. So there's certain things I can't attack guys on those levels as an employee of the team when I disagree with things. If you work for uh, IBM and IBM is doing, you know, putting out bad products and you're an employee there, you can't go on social media and just going, you know, and lambasting, you know, a president in your organization. <laughs> and my job's not to break news. My job is to analyze and remove emotion and foster conversation. And I think Chuck Fletcher did some good things. And I think he is a smart guy, but I think that he made some mistakes. I don't, what I don't know, and I will be digging into to get some perspective on it is did that element of being the GM and the president, therefore hearing from ownership about selling tickets affect some of the things that he wanted to do. I know Freed's talked about this on Monday's 32 Thoughts, that there was too many voices contributing in the conversation. And you don't know what decisions were his and what decisions were, you know, ones he had to make. Here's what I know. Finally, the term aggressive retool has hit. <laughs> it's been a while. It was January of 2022, I guess, when they said aggressive retool. It took all the way until March of 2023 for the aggressive retool element to begin. And it starts with the front office. Look, I mean, uh, like I've had a lot of people say, like, you know, like, j uh, just Freed slamming. Just jump on in two minutes. Freed just going to jump on? Yeah, so Elliot Friedman's going to join us in just a moment for everybody. So That's awesome. That's really cool. That's, that's a big get by me. That's a very big get. Congrats. It's uh, the biggest dog that you could probably find in this uh, scenario. So, I mean, it's, um, it's, uh, where were we going with this? Yeah, like, I just don't think it's necessary to, like piss on chuck fletcher's grave on his way out the door i guess that's my whole thing you know it's a different thing when you hear when someone's been an asshole behind the scenes maybe like ron hextall but when you hear that so like i had someone tell me yesterday or the other day you know chuck fletcher has made people's lives miserable here at times including me because of the dumb decisions he's made but i will still always vouch for him as a person because he'll give the shirt off his back and look, you don't get, you don't you get, uh, pardon me? It does give you more leash. Look, I mean, look, my grandmother, I think is the nicest woman I've ever met, but I don't want her running the Montreal Canadiens, you know? So like, I understand that point. You don't get to keep your job because you're a nice person, but I do think you don't, you don't deserve to be pissed on and shit on, on your way out the door because you made mistakes. He failed. It's easy to say he failed as the general manager of the Philadelphia Flyers. And we could all agree on that, that he was rightfully dismissed from his position as president and GM of hockey ops. But I don't think it's fair to just, you know, wish the guy harm and say shit like, oh, I can't wait till he's in another front office so we can take advantage. Like, I just I don't feel like that part of this is necessary. There's a human element to this. And I know some people have said like, well, you know, on Wall Street, there's no human element. Well, I mean, just because it happens Wall Street doesn't mean that it's a good moral thing. So that's kind of my stance on the whole thing. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, this is this is a big day, man. When, when GM has been let go in season, it is a big, big deal. And we're going to see how, you know, how far these things cut. 
where it all ends up going. Um, this is certainly a, a pivot point for the Flyers because Ed Snyder handed it off to Dave Scott. And if Dave Scott ultimately ends up being one of those changes that happens in the offseason, now all of a sudden it is really, truly the dawn of a new day and a new organization. And, and again, that line in that press release just keeps sticking out to me. That one quote about reestablish the standard of excellence that our fans expect, but also bring a new energy, accountability, and strategic vision to our organization. I think that's the strategic vision, where things go from here. You know, new president gets hired. He comes in and goes, we're going to do an aggressive retool. <laughs> <laughs> Would that be the shit? You know, I, I I think a lot of people got caught up on the semantics over like their outrage. But to be honest, the semantics at times were just really bad. Like, you know, Chuck Fletcher inadvertently would gaslight fans. And for a guy that as, you know, as book smart as he is, and I think that as smart of a guy for certain aspects as he is, some of the things he did, the way he went about it, his the way he would kind of relay messages to the media was just asinine like plain and simple there's just no other way to put it that it, he had really bad moments here and it really felt that you know aside from the hockey moves that he made oh fridge is here we'll let jump we in. got fridge and we oh that's a nice sunroof you got there fridge well thanks i you know what i i don't want i pulled over so i didn't uh for a second so i wasn't using my hands while i was driving so i don't want anyone getting me arrested i i pulled over and stopped before i dialed in all right, well, this is now a, a stick to hockey live car cast with Elliot Friedman. So, Friedge, thanks for so taking I, a few am minutes. I on the, am I on the, am I on right now just so I don't swear or anything like that? Yeah, we swear. I mean, you can say shit. <laughs> yeah, okay, good. Well, sometimes my bosses don't like it. So, I have to, I, yeah. I only have a certain amount of swear words I can, I can use the year. That's all. <laughs> and they have to be strategically placed, of course. Yes. Um, Friedge, let's start here because I, I know you only got a few minutes, but. Um, I appreciate yeah. you joining us. You know, when no this problem. whole thing kind of goes down, how long has this been brewing? What have you been hearing uh, that this came to a head and how much of the trade deadline and non-trade uh, of James Van Riemsdyk played a part here? Well, I, I think, like, I, I think this was trending. I actually heard uh, in January that, or I might have been in December. Uh, I think in December... I, there were starting to be some rumors that this might happen in January, and I looked into it in the time, and 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 people were like, "No, no, that's too soon." But it it, it, it was it was obvious to me that the the wheels were being laid in motion, and I always believed, guys, it was going to happen after the season. But I do think the deadline and the reaction and the aftermath it, it sped it up because, as I wrote this week. Uh, a, a governor had reached out to me and said, uh, at least early in the season, he didn't have the latest figures. Flyers comps were up and uh, like complimentary tickets. And that's always a bad one. Like, uh, um, you know, when, when he heard us talking on the podcast last weekend, or I also mentioned on Merrick's show this week at some point that I thought there were, there were a chance that hockey ops uh, changes were coming. And somebody said to me, like the comps were up and, that's one when when you have a, a number that jumps kind of out of nowhere, that's something that really gets the attention of an organization. So I think it was it was coming, guys. I, I do think the aftermath of the deadline accelerated it. 
Yeah, you know, Frija, Anthony DeMarco here. I, you know, over the last couple of days, like you said, it seems like everything really accelerated this process. But as we know, you know, I don't think it's a secret that the Flyers senior advisors have a heavy hand or have had a heavy hand in the philosophical direction of this team. How much of an impact do you think or how much do you think they were consulted on this? And where do you think their particular outcomes could come from the coming fallout? Well, first of all, Anthony, hello. Secondly, uh, <laughs> I, 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 it's too early to say. Um, I, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting. I've had mixed kind of answers on that to this point. Um, I think that uh, I, 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 I do think that I just want to be careful with what I say. I think there's a chance that everything here changes. I, I, I don't know. I, I think it's what is clear to me is that Philadelphia's hockey operations or business operations and ownership have been have been discussing about changes for a while. And what that's all going to look like and what that's all going to mean. And, you know, I just think that there's, there's, there's a chance this, this, with this that we are going to see differences in the way that things are going to operate. Um, you know, we know there's going to be a long rebuild. They've never done that before. We know there's going to be two jobs here. What are the duties of, like, what does, like, one thing we don't know yet is, like, sometimes when you have a president of hockey ops, like, you look at Boston, Cam Neely and Don Sweeney, you look at Colorado, Joe Sackick and Chris McFarland, you look at those kinds of setups, it's one person's job to manage up and it's another person's job to manage down. One handles the hockey ops and everything beneath them, and one is sort of like the lead. Nope, there goes Fridge. Oh, I lost Fridge for a second. As he's driving uh, in uh, the Toronto metropolitan area, we'll see if we can get him back here very quickly. Um, nope. There he is. You're back now, Fridge. No, he's gone. Oh. You guys got good cell phone uh, reception up there in the uh, north of the border. What's the deal? He's an employee of Rogers, so he can't give his honest opinion. I guess that. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Um, I'm, I'm with Rogers too on my cell phone, but. Yeah, I, uh, I guess until we get Fridge back here, I, I do think, and the other thing I kind of want to ask him about this, if we have time, of course, is that, you know, the, the timing of the Hilfordy hiring and how much of an impact that had on everything. Because like Fridge said, like there was a lot right, of... guys, uh, I, I have to run. I got to go too. But I do I do think the possibility that this could be the, the end for uh, Dave Scott could answer that question too. Absolutely. Hey, Fridge, thanks for a couple minutes. Uh, drive safe up there, all right? Yes, yes. No touching the phone. No <laughs> touching the phone. I was using my car play. Good job. Well, the sunroof looks good uh, and the ceiling's nice and clean. Be well, Fridge. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Take care. And there he is, uh, Elliot Friedman. I mean, he's a busy guy this time of year and all yeah. this going on. I, I wanted to ask him because uh, – let me kick him out of the uh, studio here. So um, I'll kick him. There we just kick we just kick Fridge off stick to hockey live. That's a, that's a new high for the program. Um, you know, one of the things I wanted to ask him was was that moment back on. Let me give you the exact date here, February fourteenth. It was Valentine's Day when all of a sudden we get the email that Daniel J. Hilferty joins Comcast Spectacor as the chief executive officer. 
Dave Scott to continue as chairman? Was that the beginning of how I termed it now, very poignantly, of aggressive retool? Is that when this all started is my question. I have a feeling it is. That's when an action plan started to go into place. I think as Fried said, he he mentioned that it was probably going to come into effect in the off season. I think that's when they started to want to get their ducks in a row. And then this was just the shoe dropping in response of the trade deadline. I think that that's really what fast tracked this whole thing, because you saw the vitriol online. You saw what happened at town hall. Like you saw like Steve Coates trying to act like a human shield, which I mean, I can understand Coates' standpoint, but at the same time, you can't, you know, judge fans for the way they feel about a hockey team. And I think this was literally something just to calm the angry mob today. This was a move about optics. That's what today was about. I think that it's not the end all be all. I, you know, Fridge just went into depth about how they're going to have a president of hockey ops and a, and a general manager. He was kind of explaining the two different uh, responsibilities that both have. But I mean, I just think that um, all in all, it's, it's a baby step in the right direction and I think this season has been a a uh, a long list of baby steps, both from on the ice and what John Tortorella has brought in that regard. And now you're seeing it in the the front office and the overall organization of the team and or direction of the team. And I think that we should really uh, I think that it's a good day. As unfortunate as that is to say, because like I said before, Fried jumped on, I don't think it's ever fun when someone loses their job even though they are paid handsomely and i'm not saying that but i just think that it was something that was desperately needed um just a couple more things here drago 629 ivan drago i must break you he says uh do you think torts will take input from briere with the quote interim tag uh, he's already been taking input from danny briere from the moment he was hired he cited it a few times talking about Briere's effect on TK. And he said a couple of times in press conferences, you know, sitting around talking about, you know, the game with Danny Briere. And I think he's got a ton of respect for Briere. Briere doesn't look like a torts kind of guy, maybe the way he played and as, as nice and of a gentleman as Danny is, but make no mistake about it. Danny was very intense. He was lethal with the stick to create space was a big time, raised the level of your game in the biggest moments. Torts always talks about meaningless hockey and not meaning shit to him. Well, Danny always raised the level of his game. I think he's got a ton of respect for him. And I think that, that could be a very good partnership with the two of them. And they kind of contrast each other in the way they're perceived publicly as well. I think that's a good thing. And I think, Danny, you know, you had all those reports coming out during the hiring process that Chuck Fletcher was or John Tortorella wasn't Chuck Fletcher's guy and we know his guy was Barry Trotz and maybe Jim Montgomery and all that but I think the one thing that kind of got lost on all this is maybe he wasn't Chuck Fletcher's guy but I think John Tortorella was Danny Briere's guy and I think that that was kind of obvious right from the onset from people I spoke to that even though Chuck Fletcher may have not been involved there's a lot of people in hockey ops that wanted him involved or wanted John Torelli to be the coach of this team. And I think Danny Breer was one of them. And since this season started, I think Tortorella's comments would lend itself to believe that that is the case. And I mean, I don't think that's going to be an issue. You know, Breer was heavily, was one of the guys who led that coaching search alongside Chuck Fletcher and Brent Flair. 
So I don't see that being an issue whatsoever. Um, we get this message on our stream from Kevin Quinn. He says Pronger and Torts, if Pronger was to be named the president or in some high management role, Pronger and Torts would either create a dynasty or murder each other. <laughs> well, but I, think, but I think that's the entire, you know, organizational structure that wouldn't be a problem, right? Be, be, that's the, the entire point of what we're getting to is that theoretically, I mean, sure, from time to time, of course, but theoretically Pronger and Torts wouldn't and shouldn't be in direct contact with one another. And I think that's the entire point is that you don't want your president having day-to-day contact with your coach or your coach with the owner and the owner with the assistant coach and all that shit. Like that's why there has to be a structured organizational ladder where everyone has their, you know, their prioritized delegated positions. Like just for argument's sake is if Pronger's G- president and Briere is GM and Torts is coach, there shouldn't be many situations on a day-to-day basis that Pronger and John Tortorella should be in direct contact with one another. And I think that's the entire point of what we're trying to get at here. Yeah, no question about it. Um, we get this from Anonymous. Is that the uh, yeah. internet guy? He said, I hope they stop trying to give us, quote, flyers-style players and just get good players instead. I don't care if they hit or fight. I want them to win and and also not spear players in the groin. Um, look, I, I think the Flyers almost overcorrected the steering wheel when it comes to, as uh, Anonymous said, Flyers-style players because it was all Broad Street Bullies for so long. And then I think that they became a really soft team the moment that they traded Wayne Simmons. And they became a team, for lack of a better term, I know this term gets made fun of a lot, they became a team that was easy to play against. There was no accountability for the opposition. And I think they overcorrected the steering wheel and drove themselves into a ditch in a way by doing that. Have to have some of that. If you want to call that a flyer style player, is Pat Maroon a flyer style player? Maybe in the DNA of the organization, yeah. Is Matthew Kachuk a Flyer-style player? Oh, hell yeah. And he could play for my team any day of the week. I I think you got to have some of that grit, some of that accountability for the opposition on the ice because we've seen teams that don't have it and they don't go anywhere in the playoffs. And if they do go somewhere in the playoffs, it's after they got it, like Tampa did. Yeah, no, I I don't think that that's like flyer style players. Like they haven't had that identity, like you said, since Simmons came aboard. And even when Simmons came aboard, like Ron Hextall kind of stripped all those players away. Like, you know, you get rid of Scott Hartnell, you get rid of Zach Ronaldo, you get rid of Steve Downey, like all the guys that were those types of players when Holmgren was in charge in quick order. Ron Hextel kind of, you know, shoveled those guys out the door and you didn't really draft those kind of guys either. Like maybe Wade Allison's the only one that really made a big difference in that uh, in terms of being a flyer type of player. But look, I think that um, you can't think about that yet. Like you, you, they, everyone knows in that organization that they need high end talent. Like before he was fired, fired, Chuck Fletcher said it, Danny Briera said it, John Tortorella said it. Everybody knows, everybody's well aware in that organization, they need star players. But I do think that you've seen a tangible difference to what, let's say a guy like uh, Nick Delorier has meant this year. Now that he's playing good hockey, what a guy Sealer, like Rosmus Ristolainen has made this year. So yeah, Sealer as well brings a little Nick bit of that. Sealer, Although, yeah. 
I mean, big picture, Nick Sealer is your seventh D and I don't know that he fits the timeline of the rebuild anyway. Risto, as long as he's here and he's got what, four years after this does. Um, you look at Delarier, who's got three years after this does. You know, I, I did a thing on Flyers Daily about players that who's got what left to prove. And I put together a list of players that still have something to prove. And I had Frost, Sanheim, Farabee, York, Hayes, and Allison on that list. And then the guys who have, to me, kind of proven what they are, good, bad, or indifferent, were TK, Lawton, Provorov, Tippett, Cates, Ristolainen, kind of a tweener, Sealer, Delarier, and obviously Hart. So, you know, when you look at those guys that still have something left to prove over these final, I guess, what, 17 games now? Frost still has something to prove. Although over the last, I think, 35 games, he has one more point than Owen Tippett does, but our perception of the two players is vastly different. And then you look at Sanheim, who healthy scratched in Calgary, benched for a period. He and Torts got to figure that out, and he's got to come back next year and have a good year. Faraby, I think Torts is going to give Faraby the pass this year because of a surgery on the neck on June 25th. He understands that. York, to me, still has a little bit to prove. Been better, been good since he's been back up. Hayes, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if he's part of the long-term plan here. I tend to think not. And then Wade Allison's a guy, too, that um, needs to prove he can stay in the lineup. But but Allie's a guy that plays the game with reckless abandon. I always say this, Ant, NFL running backs, you, when they step out of bounds, you know, in the NFL, it's not guaranteed contracts. And, you know, you don't sign a deal and, and see every penny of what you signed for. They say when they step out of bounds a yard, half a yard short or a yard short instead of taking the hit, that's a business decision. Wade Allison doesn't play the game with any business decisions. He's a guy who knows how to play one way. You know, boards be damned. He's going to be a bowling ball out there, and that's going to affect his availability at times. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot to like here, and I think that's what's kind of gotten lost in this season is that despite, um, despite like, a lot of, like, I guess, uh, dysfunctionality off the ice or a lot of speculation, for lack of better words, off the ice, there has been a lot to be encouraged about on the ice. And I think that's what we've come to realize about this team. But I mean, it's, uh, it's something that I think now that we're still going to focus obviously on what happens in the front office. We're going to focus on what happens with who's the next president, where G where Danny Breer falls and all this and all, and all that. But I feel like maybe finally we could, you know, park our disdain for Fletcher at the door because he's gone now and just start focusing on maybe some of the positive things to come out from the Yawn Ice product. Yeah, and where they go now going forward. All right, let's wrap it up there, Ant. This was, um, we certainly said a lot. Uh, We analyzed it quite a bit. Tons to talk about. We'll see how things uh, develop. And, you know, as Charlie said in his tweet, Charlie O'Connor, that uh, no other moves are imminent today. And we'll see what happens here in the coming weeks. Or I guess what, you know, five weeks basically uh, from the season ending on April 13th, I believe in Chicago. And uh, we'll see what happens immediately, the aftermath of the season and what other changes taking place. I, this is to me is just the beginning and where they go from here and the decisions that are made ultimately will determine a lot. And we just hope that, you know, with this move that, Danny Briere brings, you know, a different light to the organization 
and maybe a little luck, a little lottery luck. Not 2017 lottery luck where you end up with Nolan Patrick basically in a two-player top of the draft and the Devils take Heischer, Flyers are left with Nolan Patrick, but then the three guys taken after in uh, Kale McCarr, Heiskanen, and Elias Patterson. Uh, so you hope the Flyers, maybe they get a little lottery luck, and boy, that'd be a great way for Danny to start out his uh, GM uh, tenure. If that is in case, is in case if what happens. If that fell yeah, into yeah. his lap. A bedard falls into your lap. It's like, okay. Starting out on the right foot, that's for sure. By the way, I, I brought these numbers up on Flyers Daily. This is just absurd. So Bedard in his draft year, let's go back to Connor McDavid in his draft eligible season through 47 games played. He had 44 goals, 76 assists in, and 120 points in 47 games. To you know, And McDavid to me is generational bar none. Yeah, he hasn't won a ton in the playoffs in the NHL, but Bedard, 47 games played, and this is draft-eligible season. 59 goals, 15 more goals than Connor McDavid. 64 assists, so 12 less assists, but three more points with 123 points. That's the type of player that's sitting there. Hopefully Danny Breer brings that luck, and maybe uh, the Flyers end up uh, with a, a shot at a player like Connor Bedard. If they're in the bottom five of the NHL, you get a, a realistic shot of winning that lottery. Well, look, I mean, I think there is a lot of good things that could possibly come out between now and the summer. And I think one of the things that is important here, and again, I don't like to champion someone losing their job. I really, I, I don't like dancing on. Yeah, I don't street. celebrate that. I, I don't. And it's like I said, especially like I just got a text from someone from Minnesota, the Minnesota organization. And they said, I'm sorry to hear the news about Chuck. He's a world class guy. So, I mean, it just goes to show that he is a good person. Again, this doesn't mean that he should have kept his job, but I just, I don't think it's necessary to piss on the guy's grave on its way out. That being said, now that that shoe has dropped and Chuck Fletcher's gone, I think it's going to give a lot of the fans the ability now to appreciate some of the positives to come out this season. And there are a decent amount of positives. And, you know, I've seen a lot of people say they weren't going to look watch the team until Fletcher was gone. Well, now you have a reason to watch. And look, you're not going to be watching a Stanley Cup contender. Hell, you're not even going to be watching a playoff team. Hell, you're not even going to be watching a bubble team. But you're going to be watching a team that has a lot of good young pieces. You're going to be watching a team that works its ass off every night. And you're going to be watching a team that has maybe a bit of a, not even a foundation, but maybe a bit of framework in place to say like, okay, that maybe could be the uh, the bottom tier type of players if they could find that way to get those star talent. And look, they're going to get a good draft pick this summer. And, you know, next year they have two first round picks and maybe Danny Breer could finagle a way to bring in a, a second round pick and get back into the second round or add a third round pick. And this is a good draft year. And I think that the Flyers maybe, like Freed said, they're going to do a full rebuild, which is long overdue. But I do think that they're maybe starting out on the right foot. And, you know, contrary to what we saw with Hextall to Fletcher, is you saw a team that theoretically had just completed a rebuild and was supposed to take that next step. Unfortunately, it was a half-ass rebuild. The prospect pool was vastly overrated. And you had a core group of players that, save for the first year of Chuck Fletcher, were well past their prime. 
And now you're seeing a team that's really almost down to the studs, right? Like John Tortorella said, they're at the footers here. They don't have a set core in place. They have some pieces that theoretically could be that. But it's like whoever's going to be heading up this hockey ops, whether it's Briere, whether it's Chris Pronger, whoever, whoever, they kind of have a clean slate to work with here with a decent amount of young talent. And I think that the one thing, the other thing I'll say about this is maybe we'll look back a bit fonder on the Fletcher and probably Flair regime, depending on how they've drafted when all these picks come to fruition, what York ends up being, what Forster ends up being. Obviously, Cutter Goatsy is that crown jewel. And I do think they have a better prospect pool now than they did when Fletcher took over from Hextall. Well, the Flyers and Danny's first game as the interim general manager will be taking on the Penguins tomorrow in Pittsburgh, 3.30 on ABC. And Danny Breer in his career as a player against Pittsburgh had his highest point per game, uh, actually second high end per game um, average against that team. He played 51 games against the Pens, 14 and 28 for 42 points. The only team he had more points against also in 51 games was the Boston Bruins at 43. So maybe that's good luck as well. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see where it all goes in. Um, yeah. It's exciting. Anybody that is not following at a DeMarco 25 on Twitter is a fool because you broke this sucker. You were uh, a couple of days ago intimating this was coming at 1.07 a.m. I think you said it was last night. You're out there firing off tweets with the latest information. And uh, good job, dude. You beat everybody to it. Good on you for doing it. Thank you so much. Couldn't have done it without uh, Stick to Hockey Live. And uh, I'm just fucking with you. But I do like <laughs> your ugly face. <laughs> uh, but also uh, go check out the fourthperiod.com, all and stuff there. Great story there. And look at the timeline of uh, how everything broke down according to Ant's reporting. Uh, everybody, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Thanks to Elliot Friedman from Sportsnet Hockey Night in Canada for dropping by for a quick visit as well. We got to see the sunroof of his vehicle. Uh, so we'll follow this. We'll be back. Uh, I guess we'll do a show on Monday and we'll see where things go and recap Flyers pens. We'll see when some availability may take place for Danny Briere and maybe others in the organization. We'll keep everybody on top of the situation. So thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Leave us a five-star rating and review. We would appreciate that. That'll help other Flyers fans and hockey fans find this content. So everybody have a great weekend, and we will talk to you next time on Stick to Hockey Live. Yeah,